And it's here that Moses preaches his five messages that we know as Deuteronomy, preparing them for going into the promised land and receiving it as God's gift as he hands over the Canaanites uh, and brings judgment upon them. But it is, it's also the place of Jesus' baptism, and it's also the place of uh, where Elijah is taken up into heaven and passes the mantle to Elisha. So uh, it's, it's the place of transition, Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, and John the Baptist to Jesus, all in the same spot. And so that was, that was a, a new idea to me the first time I went there. It's like, wow. Lucky, isn't it also near the location where the uh, Israelites entered the land? It, it is precisely that place. And, uh, and that's where I got to baptize you all. Yes, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. A little muddy water. I don't think we could see our feet that day. <laughs> no, we <Yeah>. couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the I water... I get my feet in the mud. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, the plains of Moab. Deuteronomy is a sermon. Actually, a series of sermons. It is the longest sermon in the Bible. And maybe the longest sermon ever. Deuteronomy presents Moses <clears throat> standing <clears throat> on the plains of Moab with Israel assembled before him, preaching. It is his last sermon. Well, how fitting is this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's being dissolved. <laughs> yes, but he was dissolved. But lucky, then Moses went off and went up the mountain and died. We don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> Thank you, Shirley. I was, I was hoping that retirement was going to be a little more fun than that. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so... When he contemplates, when he completes it, he will leave his pulpit on the plains, climb a mountain, and die. And I'm hoping the parallels stop before there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the setting is stirring and emotion-packed. Moses had entered the biblical story of salvation as a baby born under a death threat in Egypt. Now, 120 years later, eyesight sharp as ever, and walking with a spring in his <laughs> he preaches this immense sermon and dies, still brimming with words and life. Let, let me let me pause just for a second. I I hear a baby, so just just a minute. Grandpa. Yeah, is. Grandpa. Oh, cute. It's so sweet. I know. So, Shirley, tell us about your exercise. Yeah, how are you feeling? I'm fine. I really yeah. am. It's okay. just slow go. And I it's... saw you get up. Yeah, I've been up since um, the day of surgery. <laughs> I got up. How much do you ambulate? I mean, do you do any walking or... Um. I'm not supposed to until I can put full weight on my right leg. <clears throat> I'm supposed to keep it lower key. I'm, I move around with a walker. You know, I'm fine with that. And so I can was, almost was take it a hip replacement? Was, was it a hip replacement? It was a revision of what they, tr they, they did the first time. So I've had two surgeries. And the second one was a hip replacement. My oh, friend, his, his mother is uh, a marvel because uh, she uh, broke her hip and they submitted it. They put cement in there to cement it back together. And she was walking in three days and she's 97. I could, you know, it was like I'd never heard of anything like that. Neither had the doctors. Well, that was like Judge Rice Camp came back, had surgery on a Monday and came back to church the next Sunday. But I had complications because I had three different breaks. So I understand. This is not an easy one. No, but, it doesn't sound like it. But I have not lost.
on life, so I'm okay. No, you sure have. <laughs> That's because you've you've extended your happy hour to happy day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Angelo, this. you need to come to have happy hour. <laughs> I've heard about you, young lady. Oh, you have, dear me. Well, you know, if we didn't have our meeting at 10 a.m., <laughs> a little bit later in the afternoon. Then we wouldn't remember anything, there. <laughs> okay. I like how you think, girl. So here. <laughs> well, we're back on 249. This sermon does what all sermons are intended to do. Takes God's words written and spoken in the past. Takes the human experience ancestral and personal of the listening congregation and then reproduces the words and experience as a single event right now in this present moment. A sermon changes words about God into words from God. It takes what we have heard or read of God and God's ways and turns them into a personal proclamation of God's good news. A sermon changes water into wine. A sermon changes bread, bread nouns and wine verbs into the body and blood of Christ. A sermon makes personal again what was once present and personal to Isaac and Rebecca, to Ruth and Boaz, to Abigail and David, to Mary and Elizabeth, to Peter and Paul, to Priscilla and Aquila, to you, to me. No word that God has spoken is a mere literary artifact to be studied. No human experience is dead history merely to be regretted or admired. The continuous and insistent mosaic repetitions of today and this day throughout these sermons keeps keep attentions taut and responsive. The complete range of human experience is brought to life and salvation by the full revelation of God. That is what Moses is doing from his great pulpit on the plains of Moab. Live this now. Not only is the sermon the way this is done, but it has functioned continuously and powerfully in the community of God's people as a primary means for the grammatical conversion of language from them to us, from was to is, from then to now. Even when a sermon is clumsy or inept, when it keeps the language of the community local and personal, it has its use. The plains of Moab are the last stop on the 40-year journey from Egyptian slavery to promised land freedom. The people of Israel have experienced a lot as a community. Deliverance, wanderings, rebellions, wars, providence, worship, guidance. The people of Israel have heard a lot from God. Commandments, covenant conditions, <coughs> spiritual procedures, and now poised at the River Jordan, ready to cross over and possess the new land. <clears throat> Moses, preaching his great Britons of Moab sermon, makes sure that they don't leave any of it behind, not so much as one detail of their experience of God's revelation. He puts their entire experience of salvation and providence into the present tense, chapters 1 to 11. He puts the entire revelation of commandment and covenant into the present tense, chapters 12 through 28. And then he wraps it all up in a charge and a blessing to launch them into today's obedience and believing, chapters 29 to 34. 
Let's go. Getting saved is easy. Becoming a community is difficult, damnably difficult. You know, that's when I think about church, I said, you know, ministry is easy except for people. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, right offhand, I couldn't agree with that, but. Yeah. Getting well, saved, I don't think getting saved was easy. Well, ultimately, getting saved is what's done to you. <clears throat> and some of us are more no, hard-headed than the others. <laughs> no, no, I don't understand that. I don't understand that, uh, uh, Lucky. So, so, so it's easy for God to do. Is that what you mean? No, actually, I think it's it's actually easy easy on us because it's not something we can achieve. It's something that's given. So it's a matter of receiving from our end. I think it actually, I think the cross was probably not easy. No, <laughs> no, but, but, but loving God with your heart. Yes. Your mind. Yes. And your soul, and I interpret soul, I've said this before, as, as experience, really, experientially. Yes. yes. Okay. I don't think that any of that's easy in any of it. It's a, it's a small point, but... Uh. Well, you know, I, I think that what, what you find is that if you, if you want to at all, that, that want to is God's gift. And you spend your life stepping into that, that desire. But... But you didn't do anything to get the desire. You either have it or you don't. And and you can't fake it. No. no you know? you can't. <laughs> so if if you have the desire, that desire is a gift. That you didn't earn, you didn't conjure, you didn't develop as a skill. It's just a gift. And then you try to cultivate the gift. Which, as you say, is is not easy and takes spiritual disciplines over time, but but the gift is still a gift that that you simply receive, and until you receive it, you don't have it. So I think that's his point. Okay, and uh, yeah, it's a. You can't fake it. I'm writing that down. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're helping him write another book, Lucky. <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. So, nothing could have been easier from a human point of view in the story that we have before us than getting saved. Nothing. These people, our ancestors in salvation, prepared a meal of lamb and vegetables and bread, ate it, and simply walked out of Egypt, walked away from 400 years of slavery, following Moses east until they arrived at an impassable sea. There they watched as Moses stretched his staff over the waters. In astonishment, they saw the waters divide all the way to the far side, exposing a dry roadway, probably paved with Sodom and Gomorrah asphalt. They crossed. On the far shore, they looked back and saw the Egyptian horses and chariots in full pursuit. Terror-stricken, they huddled together as their doom hurtled toward them across the highway through the sea. And then, just as the Egyptian forces were all stretched out along the miraculous road, horses pounding, chariots rumbling, men shouting, the sea walls collapse on the Egyptians. The people were saved. Stuttery Moses slipped into the unlikely role of Cantor, as if he had done it all his life 
and led them in singing the great anthem of salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord, and again, when you see capital T, capital L, you should, you should think Yahweh. It's God's name, not his title. Yahweh is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Exodus 15, 1 to 3. The hills rang with the salvation hymn. Over time, it became the Israelites' national anthem. Miriam and the women got out their tambourines and began dancing. Salvation singing, salvation dancing. Now, let me pause there for a second and share a memory. I, I crashed a wedding in, in New York. I went to the Spurgeon sabbatical and for a number of years, our, our worship leader was a kid from the Salvation Army. And we actually brought him to First Pres with his bride. So, so it was a Salvation Army wedding. And, and I came from Florida my pastor friend came from the Boston area and Scott Haifman came when he was working at Wheaton and was moving back to Gordon Conwell. And we all met in New York city and went to the wedding. And, and so there was everybody in Salvation Army uniform. And, and then there was the three of us. It was Larry, Moe and Curly at the Salvation and and it was amazing because among the things, the wedding went on for quite some time, but they had what they called the timbrel dance. And the women of the Salvation Army went up on the stage with their tambourines to do Miriam's dance, according to Exodus 15. And, uh, and that is one of the the things of a Salvation Army wedding is the song of salvation from Exodus 15 played by women on tambourines uh, as they dance. (laughs) And I was like, man, I'll never see this again, but I'm so glad I saw it the first time. Uh, A special experience to be sure. Yeah, indeed. When, when I taught this to the kids in Kingdom Kids several years ago, they made little tambourines and we danced that dance with them. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. That is neat. You're amazing, Sarah. <laughs> she is. You are amazing. Well, and, and the people who had done nothing but walk and watch now began to sing and dance. Angelo, here's the question. What could be easier? Three days later, the people were complaining because the water tasted bad. God gave them fresh water. Exodus 15, 23 to 25. A month and a half later, they were complaining again because they didn't like the food. God gave them, quote, bread from heaven the marvelous manna, with instructions on how to receive it. But the people flouted the instructions and did it their own way. Disobedient and willful, Exodus 16. Again, there was a problem with the water, and the disgruntled people took it out on Moses, so angry this time that they were ready to kill him, Exodus 17, 1-7. In the first three months of their salvation, there are 14 references to the people's incapacity for community. When Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, met him in the wilderness, bringing Moses' wife and children to join him, Jethro was alarmed at what he saw. Moses was spending all 
his time from morning to evening settling the arguments and fights of his quarrelsome congregation. Jethro helped him to organize a judicial system so that he wouldn't have to do it all himself. But the fact that such a comprehensive system was needed at all testifies to the contentiousness of the people. Exodus 18, 13 to 27. These saved people don't know the first thing about getting along with each other. Again, Angelo, the judicial systems. This is your life. Yeah, so so I'm not I'm not sure what we're doing here. Um, I mean, we, we know that the Hebrew nation were a group of stiff-necked people. Yeah. Um, but they just came from being slaves, so we're yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so you would have thought they'd have been so happy to be together. I, that yeah. doesn't fit with me. Yeah, all I know. But, yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. But human nature. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yes, yes, very much human nature. It's just human nature, you know? Yep. They're, they're crazy. They're crazy. Easy is hard. I don't, I don't know what he's saying. Easy. Well, I think what he's saying is that <clears throat> being saved was relatively easy. Becoming a community they found very challenging. Ah, okay. So so all they did was walk across the water and you know and That's it. That's it. But well, it's kinda of like it is today though, isn't it? Being oh, saved is easy. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. And you know, it's it's interesting in our transition that uh, you know, I've I've had folks who have decided to leave the church uh because I'm leaving, and I'm like shocked. Like, why don't why don't you give Jared a chance? Meet him, talk to him, listen to him, and you know, and they're 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 cranky, and and they don't want they don't want to hear that. Well, is it because you're leaving, or because of what happened when he was first coming in? Well, I think I think it's that plus. <clears throat> Again, they, you know, I think part of it is they don't like change. And so, you know, so one of the things that I think is, uh, is remarkable about Jared, and I I guess it may be in his uh, Reformed Church in America tradition, is their reciting of the scriptures. Uh, And so, but, you know, some of these folks say they they want it read from the book and it's if you if you follow if you follow on the screen you know you see that he's reciting it from the book and you know so again i think it's just an example of community is hard and he has some amazing insights lucky i i've been blown away by some of the things that he's brought from history and culture and so forth in oh, so I, I, I'm very impressed with him. No, me too. Me too. Me and too. so you know, and I, I just think I think they have misperceived him and I think if they would give him a chance, I think they'd find in him what what they hope. But you know, one of the things we say about Presbyterians is you can tell them, you just can't tell them much. Get them much. That is true. I'm married to a Presbyterian. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and have, <clears throat> we have, we see this in the folks on the plains of Moab, too, mm-hmm. is that they, they continually have their own opinion that leads to disharmony and a lack of community. And so they prepare to divide the community out of preferences and opinions rather than maintain the community in light of vows and promises they have already made. So, <clears throat> so Lucky, I'm, 
I'm Go sorry. Did I I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I, I remember. I don't know whether it was in this class or not. We were there. Were, there was a, a little partial study about about idols, mm. and and we were warned. I think it was part of this study. Uh, we were warned <laughs> that you could make <clears throat> your church building an idol. Yes. You, you're comfortable. You like to go there. Yes. Uh, you can make the music at your church an idol. Oh, yeah. And most importantly, you can make the pastor. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and well, you know, we got to stop making tributes to you at some point in time. That's right. But but you never allow that. You've never allowed that. I mean, well, notwithstanding all the love that people have for you and, and how warmly everybody feels, you've, you've never allowed uh, yourself to, to be an idol to people. You always point to Christ. Well, Angelo, I, I, I'm a man with a great deal to be humble about, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you, so, there you go. Are you there proud you of go. your ability? I, I, rest, I rest my case. No. No, I'm not proud. I'm just amazed that I've survived this long. <laughs> hey, Lucky, getting back to the reading there, doesn't everybody think that's just amazing that these people, when they saw the the, the water part, that they actually yeah. walked through it without, I mean, can you imagine trusting that strongly? And then in the next week, be fighting like crazy. I, I just, that just blows my mind. But, we, yeah. I think they forget. Yeah. You know? well, yeah, I know. Like today, yeah. So soon they forget. Yeah, we do. Well, Joanna, I think they walked because they saw the horses and the soldiers coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it was oh, okay. magnificent. Oh, okay. I never thought of that. <laughs> okay. I, I think they, uh, they realized if we stand here, we're dead. Okay. <laughs> Fear is one dead motivator. I pictured them at the end of it, and they turned around and saw. But you're right; that's probably what happened. Yeah. I, uh, I remember ticking off my grandfather, and he was he was holding a switch, and I don't know that I ever remember my grandfather running except that moment, and. And nobody had to tell me to take off. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. This is interesting. I mean, they, they, I wonder if he's going to talk about tribes. I mean, how that happened. I, I have no idea how that happened. Yes. How, but the tribes and why they went one way and, and went another way. I presume it's all about Lydian. Well, we, we'll see where we go here. Moses begins... His Plains of Moab sermon by rehearsing the events that preceded their arrival at this place. When they left Mount Sinai for Canaan, they arrived in a mere 11 days at Kadesh Barnea, at the threshold of the promise, Deuteronomy 1-2. Now, isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. 11 days from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Wow. And it took them 40 years to finally get in the promised land. Mm -hmm. and, and they were on the doorstep all those 40 years. And so, and again, Shirley had Kadesh Barnea as one of her backdrops for us uh, a while back. So, so here we are. But then... Their complaining, foot-dragging, disobedient spirit got to be too much. They weren't capable yet of living as a community in the new land. And God sent them back to Sinai to start over. It took 38 more years to get back, prepared to enter the land, 38 years of hard schooling, in becoming a community capable of living freely, obedient, and loyal in love. Deuteronomy 2.14. Oh, I got to show you somebody. Oh, good. I got... Hey, big boy. Yeah. 
Oh, oh my, my gosh. <laughs> well, you see the color of his brother. <laughs> they are, uh, yeah, except for the hair. Yeah. It's talk about look alike. They're like twins. He's supposed to be taking a nap, but he didn't do it. It's uh, a, too much excitement. That's it. <laughs> I, I forget how old he is now. He's eight, eight, eight months. Like eight okay, months. so. Uh, it, Nora, is uh, little, Nora is just a couple of weeks less than him then. Okay. He'll be uh, nine um, November. Yeah, November 8th, he's nine months. He's a big boy. Holy smokes. Tall. Yeah, he's tall. Oh. He is the <coughs> image of his brother. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that face. <laughs> you don't have to be ADD to get along in this group, but it helps, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's so much fun. <laughs> there we go. Now let me find myself here. So now, on the plains of Moab, Moses goes over what they have been through for the 40 years, reminding them that it was their recalcitrance, their unresponsiveness, their reluctance to receive God's commands and promises that accounted for that 40 years. It wasn't their enemies, and it wasn't the forbidding ter terrain that stretched 11 days into 40 years. It was because, quote, you grumbled in your tents. Deuteronomy 1, 27. Now, let me stop there for a second and and just, if that's the front end of a bookend here, let me have you look at Deuteronomy 28. And look at verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord again. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart by reason of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and in want of all things, and he will put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. Now, and, and what's the because there? You did observe the Lord joyfully. That's it. So again, grumbling leads to terrible consequences. And, and so, you know, and, and that, my, my prayer of confession week after week is my proneness to grumble. Is that if it doesn't go my way, I get cranky. Just like I read in the Bible. You know, and, and again, oh, there's Cadis Parnia behind Shirley. And 38 years they spent there trying to learn this lesson of, of not grumbling and learning to do what God commanded with joyfulness and gladness of heart. So, I hope some of them did, though. I hope some of them followed him. I mean, surely they did. I, well, <laughs> yeah. is, this, is, is this a prophecy of, of um, uh, not the Assyrians? Is this a prophecy of the Assyrians, you think? Well, of, of the Assyrians, of the Babylonians. Yeah, Assyrians and Babylonians. You know, the Assyrians take the, first ten, the top ten tribes, and then the Babylonians take Judah and Benjamin. Yeah, yeah I, I, I never cut into the tribes. But they, it says that because of the suffering, your enemy will afflict on you during the seeds. You will eat the fruit of the womb. The yes. flesh sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. We read that three pages ago. Yes. About how they mimicked the Assyrians. That's right. 
and how they they love they love the Assyrians and their practices. Yes. Wow. wow. That's right. And so so again, you know, I but I just want you to see in Deuteronomy, you've got the warning about grumbling in chapter one. And then in chapter twenty-eight in the the blessings and curses. And Angelo blessings and curses are are like the oh uh, what what is it when they have like preset uh, sentence oh, oh. Uh, they're God sentencing guidelines they call them yeah. sentencing guidelines is that there are before they ever cross into the land there are preset sentencing preset consequences for even doing the right thing with a grumbling and unjoyful heart. So, you know, that's, and yet what God promises in Deuteronomy 30 is that ultimately what they need is a circumcised heart and that God ultimately is the only one who can do it for them and that he will, that he will rescue a remnant and bring them back and restore the blessings. But, you know, what's wrong with them is they're grumbling. That's the symptom. And the reason that they grumble is that they want to do it on their own terms in their own way, which is when I look in the mirror, that's who I see looking back at me. And part of, again, part of human nature, though. I mean, oh, totally. like that. No, that's right. That's right. And so, you know, again, we have to learn a different way. And what we hope we learn is that as we see God's faithfulness demonstrated over time, that our hearts would grow more confident and more reliant on God to take care of us than thinking we need to design our own way and trust yeah. our own forces. That, that's why I, I make soul equivalent to experience. Yes, exactly. The, the loving God with your soul, I think, for me, required experience. Yes. Experience with God. I, I could understand God. I could accept God even in my heart, but I didn't understand who God was. I had no idea. Right. So what happens now? Yes, exactly. But, and well, that's why they call it a relationship. That's right. Because a relationship is developed over time. That's right. You go, girl. So, so here we are. Even after 40 years of intense wilderness training, though they are far from an ideal community, and as we will soon find out, they never will be any more than we will be. Utopian communities are not featured in the biblical story, but the people of Israel have made a start. Before he sends them off to inherit the lands, Moses goes over the basics with them. He begins with what he started them off with at Sinai 40 years earlier. Ten words that set down the conditions for living in community. And I would add, in community, in the land. Mm. Is that Deuteronomy operates as the lease agreement. God never gives ownership of the land to Israel. It's always his. But they live in his land on these terms. And if they break the terms over time, the ultimate sanction against them is eviction, is exile. So, so to, you know, all of the prophets indict Israel for their violations of Deuteronomy. And, and I think, again, the only way to understand what Jesus says and what Jesus does is the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, I think if I could, again, give you one big idea, that's the big idea of understanding Jesus, is he's there prosecuting the lawsuit for covenant unfaithfulness against his people 
based on Deuteronomy. And so I think it's significant that when the devil challenges him in the Judean wilderness, he only quotes the book of Deuteronomy in rebuffing the temptations by declaring that these are the real laws of this land and that Yahweh, not the tempter, is the real sovereign of the land. I think it's a land and authority dispute that, that Jesus is waging with the devil and ultimately is giving, and I think, I think the New Testament is really his application and interpretation of the covenant of Deuteronomy so that, you know, one of the things that you see in the big controversy in the book of Acts is what should we expect of Gentile converts? Do they have to become Jews? And the answer is no, that we should expect of them what we expected of sojourners in in the Deuteronomic covenant. And so, you know, again, if we make them Jews, we have acted as if Jesus didn't make any difference. So they are full members of the family of God, full children of Abraham, which is what what Paul is teaching in Galatians and tries to help fix in Romans. So, anyway. So here we are. But the people of Israel have made it short. Before he sends them, and here, I, did I do all that? Is it, is it, he said, living in community and you had in the land. So there's yeah. like two or three more sentences. Ten words, go ahead, yes, yeah. Okay. The ten yeah, words. Yeah. So the ten words that set down the conditions for living in community. I want to add there for you in in the land. He adds to that a simple creed that provides a common focus, and then goes over the instructions for living, selecting, and revising the Sinai instructions that will guide them in the everyday affairs that lie just ahead of them. <clears throat> so <laughs> the conditions. Conventionally, we call them the Ten Commandments. But the Hebrew text of the ten words, Deuteronomy 4.13, 10.4, Exodus 34.28, the ten words establish the conditions necessary for a free, loving, and just community of God's people to develop and flourish. The three adjectives, free, loving, just, are basic to community. Community is intricate and complex. It consists of many people of various moods, ideas, needs, experiences, gifts, and injuries, desires and disappointments, blessings and losses, intelligence and stupidity, living in proximity and in respect for one another, and believingly in worship of God. It's not easy, and it is not simple. The conditions established by the ten words at least make it possible. None of the conditions is onerous. All are both necessary and non-negotiable. No community worth its salt has ever existed very long in ignorance or defiance of the conditions. Now, one of the things that I, I want you to think about too, and this is something that Haifman taught me years ago, but to think of the commandments of God as really promises of God in disguise. <clears throat> and so, again, when God tells us to do something, before 
before he tells us to do something, he commits himself to provide what we need so that we can trust him. So again, how does the 23rd Psalm begin? The Lord is my, Lord is my shepherd. shepherd. And, and then what does he declare about that shepherd? I shall, shall not, not want. want. I not want. I shall not lack any good thing because he will take care of me. And so before he dies, he reflects, and this is Shirley's life here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. <laughs> and, and don't call me Shirley. And, uh, and so, so, you know, what, what God does in life is that he provides for us day by day everything we need so that we will trust him in death. And, and yet, I got to say, every time it seems that I'm facing death, I get anxious. And I'm thinking, you ought to know better. But, you know, but I find myself getting a little sketchy in moments when I see cars spinning out of control at me. I remember driving down alternate A1A one day coming south from Jupiter Hospital and a, a truck was in front of me and they hit a bump and a wheelbarrow came cartwheeling out of the back of the truck right at me. And somehow or another, I got my car out of the way and it cartwheeled right by me. Going down the street, I passed it. It never touched my car, but it was going like right for me. And I was like freaking out, you know? And yet, you know what I know in my head, but yet don't hold in my heart is that I'm safe with him and that I will live every day he has ordained for me. Yeah. That I can't lose a single one of them. That I came into this world when he called me leave this world when he calls me and that that's the way it's going to be and I ought to be able to live confidently and optimistically in that and yet I find again and again I don't but I get scared and frightened and I cry out help me <laughs> help me right now <laughs> also provide within all of us this um, will to survive so that we can serve him. Isn't, did he place in us this oh, yes. very reaction that you experienced when you saw the wheelbarrow so that we, so that we can save ourselves for his purposes? Oh, and yeah. no longer works, well, it's crickets, but... Yep. Yeah, that's it. You know, we all have that within us, you know, this desire to live because it was a gift. Life is a gift. Well, I, I think, and, and my sister Sarah sees this in herself too, is I think I have something that's been diagnosed as panic disorder. I got, I'm sure I got a lot of disorders, but, but that's one I'm aware of. And, and it's part of me that... I find disappointing uh, that I wish I wasn't like that. Uh, but it also is part of the way that I know God is that when I panic, you know, I, I instinctively cry out to him. But I usually do it from a place of thinking, you know, I know he's helped me in the past, but I'm just sure I'm done this time, you know. <laughs> but, but doesn't. But doesn't he do that? This he comes to us in the ways that he knows will speak to us. Oh yeah, you're exactly right. Oh, so I, I think he still has. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that's how he's getting through the lucky. I mean, God yeah. will get through to me a different way, but he'll get through. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think he's still happy to hear from me, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I kind of turn it around. I mean, I have been continuing. I, I mean, it's a, it is an ongoing struggle in my life, and I hate it, too. Yes. But the one thing that that I do 
when I get overwhelmed and I, you know, I, I get, I get panic attacks when I go to teach in front of kids. It's so stupid. Oh, is it? And the thing that, the thing that is so annoying, it's annoying too, because I really do love teaching. Yes. But it, it takes up space in my brain that I don't want to have to be there. But I use it also to remind myself that this is, Whatever I'm going to say, it's of God. Yes. Therefore, it makes me trust him even more to be able to deliver a message that's from him. And that, it, you know, I can't do this. I can't do life without him. And it, it just makes me press in more to God um, to, to see my weakness. You know, nope. where I'm weak, he's strong. Agreed. And it just keeps my focus on my in, inability and God's ability. Um, but it is really annoying and it's, and it's bothersome and it takes up more space in my brain than I want it to. Yes, yep, exactly right, well said. And, and I feel the same way when I preach is that, you know, that I, I feel great anxiety going in and great uncertainty about how it's gonna come out and am always sort of amazed and, you know, and if I don't feel that, then I really am nervous. <laughs> I, I don't get nervous about not feeling it. <laughs> it never translates to anxiety when you're giving the sermon. You always yes. look as relaxed and as comfortable. Yeah. I, I thought it was second nature to you. I would never have known this. Oh, no, no. I, you know, I, I, I couldn't preach my first sermon in preaching class because I had... I got physically ill, went, went and blew my guts out, and, and the guy said, you know, next week, you're preaching. If you need a bucket, if you need a bucket, bring it, but you're preaching. We, <laughs> That's awesome. If we, if we have to go to the bathroom with you, we're going, but you're preaching this sermon next week. <laughs> so get back on that horse. Wow. And that actually is is really really important to this disorder that you don't give it you don't give it room. That's you right. Continue to move forward and okay, I might be having a panic attack, but I'm going to continue to do whatever I'm doing. That's right. Otherwise, you end up being in a fetal position in your bed. No, that's right. I mean, and you do nothing. That's basically, it. That's it. Well, I'm thinking it's time for us to have a closing prayer. And who's up? But where are we? Um, at where did we stop? We stopped at we stopped at the three asterisks at two fifty two. Right. Okay. Joanne, do you have yours? I, I don't. What? I can grab it. Oh. <laughs> I don't. Oh, yeah, I, 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 have, I have it. Have it right. Week, right? <laughs> I have it right here. If you'd like to nope. go ahead. Correct. Go ahead. I have it right here if you'd like me to. Otherwise, you can go ahead, Joanne. Nope, if you're ready, go. Okay. Well, this, this is good. Again, I'm, I'm just doing this at random pretty much. This is called 